For the Canadian Society of Physician Leaders, I'm Pat Rich, and this is Leading the Way, the podcast for and about physician leaders. On today's show, your host, Dr. Johnny Van Arda, Executive Medical Director of CSPL, will be speaking with Dr. Alex Wong. Alex is a specialist in infectious diseases and has been a leading voice in calling for a scientific and equitable approach to the COVID-19 pandemic in Saskatchewan. He has also been involved on the front lines treating infected patients. Over to you, Johnny. Well, thanks very much, Pat, and welcome, Alex. It's a pleasure to be with you, Johnny. Alex, let's uh, let's dive right into it. Last year, one of our CSPL senior statesmen, uh, Dr. Dennis Kendall, he chose to become very vocal on COVID-19 issues in uh, Saskatchewan. And you too raised your profile as an outspoken advocate for a science-based and evidence-based approach to COVID. So what is it that changed? Why did you decide to become an advocate as physician? leader. Thanks, Johnny, and a ton of respect for for Dr. Kendall and all the work that he's done in this province. And, you know, he kind of helped me in some ways to sort of set a bit of a, a framework for how to actually be vocal and, and how to be sort of public facing and to do it in a way that was professional. I, I had no master plan when I started. This all probably started in about late March, early April of 2020. And it was mostly because everything was just changing so quickly with the pandemic. So it wasn't really initially about advocacy per se, as much as it was just about trying to help the public sort of navigate all of the changing evidence and and guidance around sort of what to do. That's kind of how it all started. And so I kind of tried to do that sort of work over the course of most of 2020. And then there were times in 2020 with sort of like our second wave in the fall of 2020, where, yeah, it did kind of reach a point where we were talking a little bit more about whether or not measures and protections needed to be put in place with our rising ICU and hospitalization numbers. But then it really kind of started, I think, on social media for me at the beginning of March. We received some worrisome information showing how in Regina, at least, uh, we had over three quarters of, of our cases had been this alpha variant, which put us pretty much at the forefront of the alpha wave in Canada. And we knew how badly Alpha had hit the United Kingdom and so forth. So I I went on Twitter. I'd had a Twitter account for for a number of years, but that was literally the first post was to say, look, like this this is going to be a real challenge for us. And then it kind of morphed into just talking a lot about vaccines and how to navigate the very quick changing sort of vaccine landscape. And there was a little bit less angst at that time, I feel, because we were all very positive about vaccines. And then, you know, that sort of changed, I think, in the fall and into the spring of this year. Our Delta wave here in this province was absolutely brutal. We had to obviously fly, you know, close to 30 of our our citizens out to Ontario because we ran out of ICU capacity. And so this was kind of when we saw there start to be some deviance between policy and between public health recommendations, right? And it was an awkward time in September and October trying to navigate some of this and, and being open and forthright about the realities of what was going on in the hospitals and what was happening to patients while at the same time trying to explain or rationalize what policy decisions were being made and how there were very limited or no measures kind of being put in place. So obviously things became more and more and more politicized across the entire spectrum, whether that be 
proof of vaccine programs or masking or any other types of sort of mandates or restrictions, or I prefer the term protections now. Um, and then obviously that extended into Omicron over the course of the last few months. We've had a pretty brutal Omicron wave. The death rate uh, in February of this year in Saskatchewan is the highest it basically has ever been throughout the course of the pandemic. And despite that, the government has chosen to take away all protections as of February 28th. And so, you know, essentially, this is our new normal now in this province. And we really haven't seen or heard much, I think, from our government or from uh, public health officials over the course of the last three or four weeks about anything with regards to COVID. I think the attitude is is that it's largely done. But the problem is, is that there's still obviously major impacts on our healthcare system. You know, I'm continuing to try to do the best that I can to inform the public and to provide mm-hmm. good evidence-based guidance. But it's been rewarding in many, many ways. I wouldn't change anything that I've done, but it's also been incredibly exhausting as well. And But I've learned a lot, I think, along the way. Alex, as I listen to you, and, and indeed having seen the high death rate in February in Saskatchewan from mm-hmm. uh, COVID, many see the Saskatchewan government and its premier as unscientific in their approach to mm-hmm. tackling COVID. In your opinion, is that a fairer assessment that I just gave? Yeah, I think it's fair only because clearly with Delta and with Omicron, there were significant deviances between what were very clear public health recommendations. We all realize at the end of the day that all of these Mm -hmm. types of mandates and measures have a limited shelf life, and we acknowledge that completely. But at the same time, we were still, and we still are actually right in the midst of this really brutal Omicron wave. Whether it's unscientific, I think you could call it that. But again, the last thing that I think is worth mentioning is how our premier made some comments with regards to vaccines. This would have been back at the beginning of February when our premier made comments about how vaccine did not meaningfully reduce transmission or potential for infection with Omicron, which is not a true statement, right? And so when our premier kind of was getting to a point where he's making these public statements that were incorrect, that needed to be corrected and were corrected, Mm -hmm. you know, by as many health health officials and public health officials as possible. And yet, despite this, there was still not, uh, again, an understanding that this type of messaging just was not helpful or productive. So it's a bit of a challenging dynamic, but at the same time, you sort of have to learn to adapt and and find ways to speak the truth while at the same time, you know, not, I think, getting too far into the ideology side of things, because that's, for at least me personally, not my intent. Alex, one of the things that I that I just heard was basically uh, you pointing out that there are polarities that are becoming very visible and that were there before. So, I mean, for example, ideology and health, economy and health, privilege and equity, individual rights and the common good, so to speak. I mean, these are polarities that need each other, but have always been there. Do you think we as physicians have a role to help manage these polarities or do we just need to stick to the one side? No, obviously, I believe that it's critically important that we play active roles in terms of advocating and, and, and managing the balances between all of the various tensions that, that you raise. And all of them are very real. And, you know, we've seen the impacts of imbalances with regards to all of these tensions throughout the course of the pandemic, but even more so, as you would say, in the last 
six to eight months. For me, as an infectious diseases physician, as we know infectious diseases disproportionately affect you know individuals who are vulnerable from an economic perspective, from a social perspective, and all of those dynamics are very complex. We that's my job, and in the end, actually a significant part of why I chose to go into the specialty that I'm in now, and why I do what it is that I do with regards to addictions and bloodborne infections like HIV and hepatitis C, for example, uh, is because of some inherent desire to advocate for social justice. And for me, social justice is, as you say, about equity, about advocating for people that don't necessarily have the means or the ability or the voice to be able to advocate for themselves effectively. And that's a, a very large proportion of our citizenry, unfortunately. And so there are times I think when I felt some discomfort and because I was getting publicly pushed back on with regards to the messaging of, you know, stay in your lane, Dr. Wong. Right. Like you're not a politician. You're not you're not supposed to be a politician. Like if you want to be a politician, you want to get into the politics, then why don't you put your name in and you know become a politician, right? But unfortunately like when you reach a point where there are differences and where there are disagreements and as you said, like there there are these tensions between sort of the public health good and the overall societal sort of equitable good versus essentially ideology and political gain, then there's really no way to get around the fact that health becomes political. I, I think it's just about speaking the truth. You, you trigger an interesting question here because we're, we're talking about the, the vulnerable within the context of of the health system at large. I just wonder, with, with the relaxation of the public health measures against COVID-19 throughout Canada and globally, do you believe that we as a society actually can protect those who remain most vulnerable to COVID infection? Not in an ideal way, Johnny, I don't think, because again, fundamentally, you know, those who are most vulnerable, whether it be from a medical perspective, you know, those who are immunocompromised, those who have a variety of medical comorbidities or you know the the elderly and frail in general and then obviously you look at our economically and socially vulnerable groups and th that looks different depending on where you look in Canada there's a large proportion of our society across all of the developed world that don't have you know th the means to be able to be individually responsible to you know for example keep our kids home from school or daycare if we're symptomatic or if we have covid for example do not have the means to stay at home and isolate, we still have not been able to meaningfully put measures like paid sick leave in place, which again, just makes sense, like regardless of whether we had a pandemic or not, things like improving ventilation and filtration just makes a lot of sense at a societal level to improve overall outcomes, both from an economic perspective, as well as from a health perspective. But so in the end, it, it, it's kind of the same dynamic that we we have, have historically seen. Those who are marginalized are left kind of, again, at the fringes of, of society. A little while ago, you tweeted, and I quote, for those wanting to return to normal, unfortunately, we're never going to go back to pre-COVID days, end quote. What did you mean with that? Unfortunately, COVID, at least right now, is just something which continually has the potential to threaten our healthcare capacity, our critical care capacity, and so forth. And unfortunately, the reality of COVID right now is that there's still billions of people around the world, mostly in sub-Saharan Africa and the third world, who 
have yet to be vaccinated. And so the potential for new variants to emerge uh, still remains very high. So we do need to prepare for whatever the next wave is potentially going to look like. We need to think about how to better prepare our system and safeguard our system. So to believe that it's just kind of done and that everything's going to go back to normal is honestly wishful thinking. So we just need to just be, I think, open and honest uh, and acknowledge the fact that there's still lots of work to be done and we just need to find ways to do that. Right. And if you think about it, if you look at a systemic level and you zoom out a little bit, I mean, the virus was the trigger point of so many other things that resulted really in a combination of things and that some people call a a syndemic rather than a, than a pandemic <laughs> so it will affect the whole health system and so my question is what do you think will characterize our health system post pandemic i mean i can't really genuinely say that i think that anything will be different other than for the fact that the system will have lost many, many good people. I've just seen our best people, you know, over the last two years, at least in our system, just get ground down and just get exhausted. I think the system, you know, is a lot more tenuous now than it was a couple of years ago because many good people are exhausted. And what the system has left now is is a lot of individuals who are, are still engaged, uh, but perhaps are less experienced. So it's going to take time to build all of that capacity again. It could take years and every hit that the system takes is going to just be more and more difficult, I think, to recover from uh, going forward because of all of this. I'm not sure, again, that anyone really appreciates that at a, at a political level because I think many people in society just assume that the healthcare system just runs, right? And, you know, it's going to be there. There's going to be people there. They're going to make everything work the way it's supposed to. The system is going to continue to work and continue to function, and we're going to be able to continue to look after sick people. Just thinking about programming and initiatives and leadership and you know all of these things that we want to do to try to make the system better, I don't see that that's going to necessarily be something that's going to be pushed forward very much in the next few years because we're going to be in recovery mode because so many of our good people are just are just tired and you can only ask so much of those good people before they need to take a bit of a break. Alex, fi- final question as as a physician leader, what have you learned in the last 2 years that you didn't know in 2019? One of the things that I've learned now, particularly in the last six to eight months, is that I, I recognize in a way I didn't before how decisions get made at a policy level. And I understand now in ways that I didn't before how many, many different parties and many, many different interests end up sort of conflicting and often sort of colliding with one another when people are trying to make policy decisions. For all that I've said, I recognize that policy decisions are not simple or easy, and I do not envy the kinds of choices that are that our elected officials and policymakers need to make on a daily basis. At the same time, you know, my responsibility and I think our responsibility as healthcare professionals is, as you say, to advocate for the public health good, for the lives of our of our patients and the lives of our citizenry. I also recognize now in ways that I didn't before how you know, the system is so complex. You know, I, I think I have a much better understanding now of how important it is to build 
strong relationships, whether both personal and professional relationships within a system and to develop trust and respect within a system, that is the way that you're able to move things forward as productively and as quickly as possible. I truly have no regrets of anything that I chose to do from a public facing side. I feel that it's been a privilege for me to be in a situation where I could speak in ways that were honest and in ways that were truthful without necessarily feeling that there was going to be direct or immediate repercussions. Whatever the future brings, it's going to be an exciting time. And I'm looking forward to whatever challenge that might be over the course of the next year or two. Alex, when we met last time in Regina two and a half years ago, I never thought we'd be having a podcast on a pandemic or a syndemic. So I just want to say on behalf of the CSPL membership and myself, thank you very much for spending the time that you made for us to date. It's always a pleasure, Johnny. I I appreciate the time that we spend in person together here in Regina or otherwise. And I'm looking forward, hopefully, to becoming more involved with the CSPL, you know, in the future as my capacity allows. Wonderful. Thank you. And with that, over to you, Pat. Thanks, Johnny. And thanks, Alex. That's our show for today. We hope you're finding these interviews timely, entertaining, and informative, and we'll continue to listen to our future podcasts. Please subscribe to them through your favorite podcast platform or access them via the CSPL website at physicianleaders.ca. Until next time.